Well, happy Mother's Day and uh, good morning here at HBF. We're so glad to have have you all here this morning. And uh, I know that this is a day, you know, for some it's it's kind of sad. Maybe you lost a mother or you're reminiscing about your mother. But uh, Amy said, don't do any sad videos this year. I said, okay. And I thought that was pretty good. So uh, I hope you all are encouraged this morning. And uh, we want to honor mothers uh, because it's a, it's a blessing, right? God has created uh, women, woo man, uh, with the ability to bear children. And, and women are incredible. Um, uh, moms are incredible uh, resources to the kingdom of God. And we're so thankful that God is, is uh, you know, well, there's not enough to say about moms. So uh, we're just so thankful that God has allowed us to live in a country that honors mothers. You know, Mother's Day wasn't always a thing. Um, and it's something that is a value you know, that we value life, we value motherhood, and I just appreciate the fact that we live in a place that honors moms. There's a blessing. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us that when we honor our fathers and mothers, there's a blessing. And I do uh, praise the Lord for all of the the uh, sentiments toward mothers. And so I'd like to just, if you're a mom and you can physically this morning, uh, stand. We just have you stand right now, and uh, we want to acknowledge you. Amen. 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 Now, stay, if you can, stay standing, and as you stand, uh, the pastor's wives are coming around with a little, uh, a little gift. It's just a token of our appreciation. Sorry for you on the front row. You're in a, the last shall be first, though. Just remember that. And uh, they just want to hand this out. So if, after you get that, you may be seated. We're glad that you're able to join us this morning, and uh, we're thankful for uh, our moms and, uh, and all the travail that you went through to not only give us birth, but to go through all that stuff you saw in the video and uh, without killing us before we graduated high school. So we appreciate that. I was thinking about uh, a passage in, uh, in, uh, as those are being handed out in Luke chapter 11 in my daily reading in uh, verse 27. The Bible says, And it came to pass as he, Jesus, spake these things, a certain woman of the company lifted her voice and said unto him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee, and the paps which gave thee suck. But he said, Yea, rather, blessed is he, uh, but rather, blessed are they, I should say, rather, that hear the word of God and keep it. And you know, I I thought about that verse. I even debated on using that on Mother's Day because it's really what he's doing is rebuking somebody for honoring Mary as his mother. But I thought about what he said after that and where he says, You know what? Blessed are they that keep my words, Right? And the best thing that we can do to bless moms is actually keep the Word of God. There's nothing that a mother wants more than for their children to grow up and follow the Lord Jesus. In Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 1, the Bible says, "Foolishness, uh, the foolish sin is heaviness to, to a mother, right? When a foolish son, I'm sorry, is heaviness to his mother. When you're foolish and we, and we don't obey the Word of God, it just causes grief and heartache for moms and and man, so if you want to give your mom a great Mother's Day gift, in addition to a seed packet, which I didn't know what those things are, but they must be cool. The ladies all like it. Um, <clears throat> you know what? Obey God's word. Jesus said, you know, Mary, my mom's awesome, but what's more important is the words of God, because God created us, and, uh, and he wants us to honor him. And when we honor him, we then have the capacity to honor both our fathers and our mothers. And so I am thankful for uh, a culture that honors motherhood, fatherhood, life in general. Of course, that's a big topic today. 
in the, in the news, and, uh, and we need to be thankful because we take that for granted, and we shouldn't because God, is, of course, is the author of life. So if you have your Bibles, be turned to the book of Acts chapter 16, and I'm going to continue our slow roll through the, this, third, this uh, third reality of HBF called Real Relationships, and uh, I'm doing that because I think it's important to the culture in which we, we live in. Relationships are uh, a little bit uh, retarded right now because of technology. We do a lot of communicating and interacting with people virtually, and we've lost that face-to-face connection. We've lost, and there, hey, there's great, great things about technology, and there's great um, things that we can do with it. So I'm not against it. I use it myself all the time. It's a good communication tool. But at the end of the day, when it comes to real relationships, authentic relationships, it's really a, a you need to be connected. And we saw last week in our study uh, how this woman, uh, at the, this woman with an issue of blood, had to just touch the hem of Jesus' garment uh, to be healed. She was desperate to uh, be connected to Christ and His power. And by God's grace, we are that exotic Christian we talked about last week, right? Those people that are truly plugged in, and people, they want to not only see us, right? Not just see us through social media, but they want to get up close and touch our lives. And that's ultimately what discipleship's all about. Jesus invested in those that drew close to him. He said, come and spend time at my house. Walk with me. Talk with me. Come to this wedding. Let me show you what I can do. And, and let me, eventually, he showed them who they were. They all started off as tax collectors and shepherds and uh, and uh, or fishermen and uh, whatever else they were, zealots, some of them, Simon Zelotus, Simon Zelotus. I mean, these guys all had a various background, but ultimately all of them found out that their identity was ultimately found in Christ and the personal relationship they had with him. And so that's where we all start. That's, that's where churches really start. So we learned in our first reality that everyone, that real people are found in real churches. Everyone is wanted, everyone is welcome, and by God's grace, everyone is one. We also saw that Christians were first called Christians in Antioch in Acts 11.26. And we saw that real Christians are like Christ. They reflect diversity. They reproduce spiritually. And then they respond cheerfully, meaning they're happy to give. They're happy to give of their time, their talent, and their treasures. And then we started this third reality on dealing with relationships last week. And that story that I just recounted with the lady uh, touching the hem of the garment. And today, on Mother's Day, we're going to talk about how real relationships reach families. And, uh, and then next week we'll deal with how they reach cultures, communities, cities, and countries. So I'm, I'm, uh, as we go through this series, I pray that God blesses you as you continue to learn about this subject. And on Mother's Day, there's not a better time to reflect on the value of relationship, especially when it comes to family. So last week we saw the real relationships, they, they reach God, and God recognizes those who reach out and touch Him by faith. Faith is important in this, and then we also saw that God restores those who humbly confess their infirmity, and of course, the greatest infirmity that we have is sin. So today on Mother's Day, we're going to see how real relationships reach families, and this is um, a fitting topic on Mother's Day, as we will start today looking at uh, a church that was established in large part by the effort of a praying woman named Lydia. How many have heard of Lydia? Right? We used to have a ministry here called Lydia's Circle great name for a missions-oriented ministry. Lydia is a name that is a derivative of the ancient ancestors of the region of Thyatira, who were ancient Hittites from Shem's descendant of Lud. Uh, and so the Hittites migrated, not that you care, but this is interesting to me, the Hittites migrated to that region of modern-day Turkey and assimilated and prospered in Thyatira. And the Lydians originated 
uh, as, as I said, as Hittites, and then they finally, as they migrated north after the, their kingdom fell, um, the Romans believed that the, the uh, um, Etruscans came from Lydia, and the Lydians specifically um, were part of the Ephesians that invented the, the, the money uh, system of having a coinage. Now, I don't really know if that's true, but if you go to the city of Akisar, uh, Turkey, uh, right now on their website, they're going to take credit for this, and they're going to say that, that, that Lydia, uh, the town that, and the people that she's from, are credited uh, in Thyatira with creating coinage, right? The, and, and the system that we would even use today um, <clears throat> for uh, currency, fiat currency. And so, um, whether that's true or not, I'm not sure. It probably came, I'm guessing, from uh, biblical, probably a little bit further back uh, during the times of Israel, but uh, in the, before 700 B.C. But they're, they're counted as, at least in the European regions and that part of uh, Asia there in the Asia Minor, as, as starting that monetary system. And so, <clears throat> Thyatira, of course, was made a Macedonian colony in 290 B.C., and became part of, of uh, Pergamum in 190 B.C. Uh, but long before that, uh, Thyatira was known as uh, Pelopia, which you've probably heard the Peloponnesian Wars, and probably uh, founded by these Lydians from the line of Shem uh, who came from Lud. And so all that's just regular secular history. But what's interesting to me about all of that, which may be a little boring to you, is that this lady named Lydia is actually carrying the name of her people from Thyatira. And so she's connected historically uh, by her own name. So her parents didn't want her to forget who she was, evidently. And she was very successful financially. And so the Lydians, um, Lydia of the Scripture was a key woman who God used to birth the first church in Europe. Lydia is the first Christian convert of Paul in the European continent. So with all of that background, I want to just pick up the story because uh, we're going to be in the book of... Uh, the book of Acts, if you haven't turned there, Acts chapter 16, we're going to be in verse, going to start in verse um, verse 11. But we see that that uh, Paul is, if you know much about the story of the Apostle Paul, he is the apostle to the Gentiles. God is using him to take the good news of the gospel around the world. But he's kind of, he doesn't know what his next move is. You ever been there? You're not quite sure what to do next? He, he knew that he was supposed to preach the gospel everywhere he went, but he was actually looking specifically, right, now, where is the next place I need to preach the gospel? So he's bouncing around modern-day Turkey uh, in the Bible called Asia, and he's going here and he's going there, and he gets to Troas, and God's like, nope, we're not going here right now. Uh, I don't want you to go here. And finally, he has this vision of a man in Macedonia, and that man leads him to Lydia and uh, the establishment of the church. And this lady is, is, is in large part through her prayer responsible, I believe, and the people that were praying with her to, to birthing a church. And we're talking about Mother's Day. You don't think about church planning. But you know what? This lady uh, was in Europe. She's praying, and God sends somebody. You know, I know this church, you know, we got, this church was started because people were praying. I can still remember Roger and Paula calling me up, trying to get a hold of me, and, uh, and saying, hey, man, I, we heard about you. We've been praying for a church. And boom, we're like, well, guess what? I'm coming. Here we go. And so we're off and running. And so God does this. He, he allows people to pray and give birth to, to new spiritual work, just like intimacy with a husband and a wife gives birth to a child. So praise God for that. So if you have your Bibles, let's look in the book of Acts, chapter 16. We're going to start in verse 14. The story's underway. Acts chapter 16. 
and verse, well, I'm not going to start in verse 14. I'm going to start in verse 7. So after they were come to Mysia, so Paul's bouncing around Europe, or I mean Asia, modern-day Turkey, and he doesn't know where to go. And it says in verse 7 of, of uh, Acts 16, and after, they, <clears throat> and after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. It means God did not allow that. Verse 8, and they were passing by Mysia and came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision immediately, we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Therefore, losing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia. I'm sorry, I butchered that. I had it good. I was reading it earlier. and had it down. Now I'm, I'm dead. And, and, the, and the next day to Neapolis. And from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony. And when they were in that city abiding certain days, and on the Sabbath they went out of the city by a riverside, where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the woman which resorted thither. So we see that Luke is the author here. He's writing in first person. He says, this is what happened. We went down by this river, and, uh, and there was a lady down here, that was praying, and several ladies are praying. No men; that they couldn't have a synagogue, so they believed probably in the God. Of, not probably, they believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were praying to the right God, but they didn't know Jesus. And so they're down here praying. There's not enough men to form a quorum to have a synagogue, so they're by. They're just down by the river praying, like Chris Farley. Okay, so verse 14, and then a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized, just like Hallie this morning, and her household, she besought us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. Verse 16, And it came to pass, as they went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains were gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers. And brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city, and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word this morning, I pray, God, that you would open our eyes to behold wondrous things from this beautiful and incredible book. Lord, we want to thank you for uh, the moms that are here today, the grandmothers, the great-grandmoms, Lord, all the, all the uh, <clears throat> Lord, life that you have brought forth through the fruit of the womb. Lord, it is your reward, and we just praise you so much, uh, Lord, for giving moms to give birth to us, to raise us, to care for us, to show us what love is. Lord, to model for us really the compassion that we should be having for people's souls and the need that we have to nurture folks in the Word of God and grow them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. 
Heavenly Father, I pray that we would be good disciples like Timothy, who had good influences in his life from his mother and his grandmother. Heavenly Father, I pray, God, that uh, this word that we've read, Lord, would be blessed, Lord, that it would be opened up to us and we could see things that would encourage us <clears throat> in how you want to reach families for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you and we praise you now and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated because you are. All right, so, so our first point here, the point number two of our series here is that, that real relationships reach families. So if you're filling in the blanks there, and by the way, if you didn't get a handout, they have extras. Anybody need a handout that didn't get one? Okay, Lance and wherever you are, guys, there's people with hands up. So please uh, get those out. And Brianna, help them. I may have to ask you again in just a moment. So uh, I, I probably missed my opportunity earlier, but uh, <clears throat> we'll get some out to you here in just a minute. So in, uh, in 2006, we were, uh, we, I first preached this series. And yeah, hands up. Handouts out. So uh, just keep them up until they get to you. Lucas, you just went past someone, but that's okay. Um, so in 2006, when I first uh, preached this message and, and really came up with these, God didn't come up with them, God really laid these seven realities upon my heart for our church, <clears throat> we were talking about you know the family and, and whether we like it or not, what constitutes a family has changed in our culture. And that's the reason that individual relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ are so important to the survival of, of the family and the church. Those are the kind of statements I was making, uh, you know, 16 years ago. And that statement, of course, was true. But who would have thought that 16 years later we would see an assault, right, on, on human identity in spite of what's obvious in observation of nature and scientifically expressed and stated uh, in Scripture as well. So all of those things have really changed the outlook where the family's increasingly under attack. In 2006, I was concerned about making room for those in the church who didn't have intact families, uh, single mothers <clears throat> and fathers raising children on their own, need to have a place of support in a church. And I am sensitive to that. You know, we have marriage conferences, and we focus a lot on moms and dads and, we, and, and, and all of those things. But what happens if you're single, right, and you're a single mother? Or even single fathers. There's single dads out there. Just last week I mentioned abortion, right? Not all the victims of abortion uh, and those that, 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 that hurt over abortion are the mothers. Sometimes it's the fathers, right? And so uh, these are realities. And when you're, when you're in ministry and when you deal with people, you really realize that. It's like, man, not everybody has that model, right? They don't have everything that, that uh, you would like to have perhaps or maybe is, looks ideal. There's all kinds of things that happen and, and, uh, in life. And, and so we want to have a church where when people come here, no matter how they're coming, they're received. And we also are sensitive to that and able to help them and take them where they're at and get them where they need to go. We are not a dating agency, though, so we can't help you there. But uh, by God's grace, if you follow Ruth's pattern, maybe God will bring you a Boaz, but, uh, or vice versa. If you're a Boaz, maybe God will bring you a Ruth. But at the end of the day, um, there, is an, there is an attack. There is a, an assault. There is a degradation. I don't care how you want to define it. There's a, there's a problem. Um, there's a problem in our culture in regard to responsibility in the family. Single mothers and fathers are certainly raising um, a lot of children on their own. Right or wrong, over 40% of all children born in the USA will be born to a mother who will raise the child on her own. That's a lot, almost half. Uh, <clears throat> one in six will be raised without a father's influence. That means there's no father at all right, in the picture. Uh, that's, that, that's terribly detrimental. Uh, and that equates to you know, about 12.7 million children. So having said that, I'm aware that many even in this room, don't represent the, quote, traditional family. And that, that doesn't <clears throat> uh, make you a second-class citizen or useless to God. 
It's quite the opposite. This world is in need of examples, right? Uh, of overcomers, of victorious situations that maybe come out of situations that aren't ideal. Deal. The whole Bible is full of those examples. People who have overcome difficulties by God's grace and prospered, of course, by God's grace. And, uh, and so even under the best circumstances, we must have God's grace to prosper. Like Lydia, we don't know where her husband's at. We're not given that information, but it doesn't seem like he's in the picture. It does seem like she has a house. People are following her after her conversion. So I don't know what her circumstances are. She looks like a single mom, pretty prosperous and industrious. Maybe she's not a mom and those are servants in her house. I don't know. But at the end of the day, her, her situations didn't meet you know, the normal situation. And we're not, <clears throat> we are not given any family background on Lydia, but we do see that she was leading her house to salvation in Acts chapter 16 and verse 15. And it doesn't seem that she was married, but it is obvious that her heart was open to the Lord and she was industrious like the virtuous woman of Proverbs 31. I don't know if she was divorced. I don't know if she was widowed. I don't know what her situation was. But Lydia, Lydia was certainly this. She was a prayer warrior. She was prosperous. And one of the other key things that you see, like every good mom, right? she was persistent. She was persistent. She wouldn't quit. And if we want to see God get traction in our relationship with Him, prayer and persistence are two of the characteristics that we all need to possess. If we want to see fruit in our life, man, prayer and persistence and pursuing God are two things that we cannot lack. Our culture needs examples of real people who have overcome the challenges of life and successfully followed Christ by faith. And last week we saw a woman desperate, right, for healing. And after 12 years having this infirmity, uh, she was finally healed. This week as we move forward in our study and we look at a different woman named Lydia, we see that she's a strong influencer, not, not at all like the other lady that we saw last week. This lady is a strong woman by the definitions that we would even have today. She's successful in business. She's a strong influencer, yet she is sincere and tender-hearted, and the Word of God took root in her heart, and because of that, there was fruit that was produced for God's glory. So we see that real relationships reach individual families, and this is the last thing Satan really wants. I mean, he hates it when one person gets saved, but when you see a man or a woman that's, that's pursuing God, you know, what's, you know what's next in line is their family, right? God reaches key men and key women so he can reach their family. And it's so important that we do have a concern for the family. Uh, and the, Satan hates that, of course. He wants to destroy the identity of the family by the individuals uh, who comprise the family. So all you have to do is watch your children's televisions program, programming a little, and you'll see that your influence as a parent is being undermined at every turn. I was, a, you know, when I was, my kids were coming up, I'd watch the, the Nickelodeon and the whatever things, shows, those little kid shows that, that, that man, they drive me crazy. But anyway, <clears throat> the same intro song over and over. But most of those things, not all, but most of them, you know, dad's an idiot stick, uh, mom's over the top, and the kids are smarter than their parents, you know, all that kind of stuff. And father knows best, long out the door. Life's lessons are typically not being learned. Uh, through the parents. They're being learned through some other avenue that has nothing to do with God's ordained structure. So that stuff is being fed to your, your kids constantly. Um, and of course, you have a much bigger influence than television, but those things, are, those things are really working, and only Jesus can deliver us from the demonic dysfunction of today's culture. At the end of the day, we've got to go back to the Bible, right? we got to go back to... Even, when, even as I read earlier, uh, when I was talking about the moms, even when Jesus himself, when someone's saying, hey, Let's put our focus all on Mary, and blessed be the, the, the womb that gave you birth and the, and the paps that gave you milk. And, you know, Jesus is like, hold up. 
let's get this in priority. We can't get this upside down and backwards. It's not about, it's not about us. It's about Christ and His words. And of course, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. So here's your, if you are studying here, point A, real relationships with God reach individual families. They reach individual families. We've already covered this text, but back in verse 16 of chapter 16, it says, It came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us, and cried, saying, These men are servants of the Most High God. She had the right message. Which show unto us the way of salvation. That's all true. And she and, and this she did many days, but Paul being grieved, turned and said in the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And he came out that same hour. You know what's interesting about this? This comes right on the heels of Lydia and her house following the Lord, getting baptized. And then you turn right around and you find this imposter. You find this imposter. Real ministry attra- attracts imposters. And that's what we see in verses 16 through 18. Real ministry attracts imposters. And so we see Paul is utilizing Lydia's prayer meeting to forward the gospel in Europe. And they're staying in Lydia's home, but the religious services are being held in public, you know, down by the river where they were wont to pray. So even Paul, was, he was down there just working with what God gave him. In his vision in Macedonia, uh, he saw a man waving, it says in verse uh, 9 of Acts 16, waving him over to Macedonia. But when he gets there, there's no men yet. We haven't seen one man in the story other than Paul, Silas, and Luke, and Timothy. There's a, there's a team. But other than that, we don't see, we don't see any men that are there in, the, in Philippi. But we see some faithful women. And added to the mix is this, this uh, lady that's a diviner. She's a sorceress. Uh, she's on the take. She's working for somebody else. And they see this message. And they say, man, this message is profitable. You know, even lost people realize that the Bible is true. If you do what the Bible teaches, you don't even have to be saved. It's going to bless you, right? God forbid you miss heaven because you're just using the Bible as a get-rich-quick scheme or some other method for a better life, right? Your best life really isn't now. Your best life's in eternity, right? You're, this is the time to, to, to do the work and put your time in the Word of God and do what we're supposed to do and struggle and, and see God overcome our flesh so that we can have our best life in eternity, right? So there's people, though, that like to take the Bible and they like to take Scripture and principles and Every good truth is a Bible truth, right? And so, uh, you know, who's that fella? Uh, he made a whole career out of it. Norman Vincent Peale. Uh, you know, he left the ministry as a Presbyterian minister and started doing uh, motivational speech back in the 50s and 60s. And, man, he got rich doing that thing. He's, he's probably, he's, he did great doing that. But the Bible's more than just like a, a motivational book, right? We don't need Tony Robbins. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. We need his power. And we need a relationship with him. But there's some people that come along and, and they say all the right things, but something's not right with this lady. And Paul perceives that. He's like, you know, I'm tired of hearing this. Uh, you're speaking the, the right words, but something is wrong in the heart. And so it's hard to start a church and ordain pastors uh, when you don't have men. So before Paul gets too much uh, traction on preaching uh, and getting all that done, Satan sends a diviner to distract and disrupt the work of God. Satan's smart. He knows that God's trying to establish something and Satan wants to come around and destroy it. It's just like that lady who's uh, some sweetheart wants to be married and, and before the Mr. Right gets there, Satan inserts Mr. Wrong, right? Happens with guys too, right? The guy's wanting to be married, wants to honor God, and before Miss, uh, Mrs. Right gets there, Satan inserts Mrs. Wrong. Says all the right things, but something's wrong. 
Now, Paul was wise, and he proved all things. It didn't, he didn't just make a quick decision. He waited, and he waited, and, and, and it wasn't bearing witness with his spirit. And finally, he rebuked that, that de- demon that was in her. And notice how she joined them, and she lauded the pray, Paul and Silas, and, and, uh, and, and he was grieved with this profession. After many days, he simply said, out, right? He commanded that spirit to go. So Paul did not take her distraction personally. You know what's interesting about that is he didn't take it personal. He was not mad at her. He would later go on to write to the Ephesians and say, you know what, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. And so he could see past uh, what was in her and see her soul. And once that, that uh, spirit was gone, of course, he led her to Christ. And she obviously continued with them because it made her, it made her masters angry. Right, So what the devil meant for evil, well, God made for good. Man, moms, be encouraged on Mother's Day. There's a lot of things that don't always go right, but stay focused on the Lord and stay focused on His mission and realize you don't wrestle flesh and blood. Right? You're in a spiritual battle for life and for new work right? and for, and for growth. And so Paul was very wise. He rebuked the spirit, but he didn't rebuke the woman herself. And so she is not discouraged, and she continues on as now a believer in the Lord. I believe she continued with them because the repentance, was, the repentance was so obvious she would not work anymore for her masters. She quit her job. She's like, I'm out. I'm not, I'm not going to deal with this, this uh, sorcery, sorcery anymore. I'm not going to speak for the oracle. I'm not going to act as a prophetess. I'm out. I've got a new spirit in me. It's called the spirit of the living God. And by the time we read Acts 16, 16 through 18, we have all but forgotten about Lydia's entire house following in believer's baptism. Isn't that something? What a great victory we had. And then all of a sudden, we're distracted by Satan's diviner, right? And so, God forbid. So winning real, uh, uh, winning real families, what, is, what does it really take? And I think Mom's Day is a great day to, to point this out. It, it means that we're going to lose our comfort. How many of you ladies gave birth comfortably? Uh, no, not a one of you. That's amazing. No one laid back in the easy chair and just, you know, even those cool moms that get in the water pool and do all that other natural burst. All of that, it still hurts, I think. That's what I understand. No matter what, there is pain, right? It is uncomfortable to give birth to a child, and it's uncomfortable to plant a church. It's uncomfortable to reach out with the gospel to real people and real families. If you want to see fruit, there's going to be moments of discomfort and maybe intense discomfort. This situation for this church plant team and this new life, this church that Lydia has been praying for, these group of women down by a river, they don't even have men there. It's not, a, it's not even, it doesn't look like an ideal situation, but God's going to bring forth a very awesome church through this thing. But it, it came through a lot of pain, and it came through suffering, just like birth, right? You may, man, I want a child, but I bet there's a lot of moms that, you know, in that ninth month, and they're going through pain, like, what was I thinking, you know? <laughs> Pre, pre-partum, postpartum, whatever. I, I mean, it's just, it's got to be difficult. And so winning real families will cost our comfort. And that's really what we see here in the text. What we read <clears throat> down in verse 19, it says, When her master saw that her hope of their gains were gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew him into the marketplace under the rulers, and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men being Jews do exceeding trouble our city, and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. All of a sudden they're all religious and politically correct. 
And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And Paul called his lawyer and got the National Guard. No, Paul just went with it. And when they laid many stripes on them, that means they whipped them till they were bleeding, they cast them into prison, charging their jailer to keep them safely, who having received such a charge added a little bit more salt to the wound. He thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. He didn't just like gently place them there, right? He, he slams them in the slammer. <clears throat> he throws them in and he puts them in the stocks. He clamps them down. I mean, it's obvious that this guy is, is being zealous about his job, creating more discomfort. Very uncomfortable situation for Paul and Silas. All they're there to do is tell people about the Messiah and, then, and there's people praying that that happens. The next thing you know, it's all uncomfortable. Everything looks like it's going wrong. And nothing seems right. Do you ever have a day like that? Hey, be encouraged, man. God's got a plan. Oftentimes, the best fruit comes through discomfort. Right? If you're going to give birth and give life, you're going to have to go through some discomfort. And Paul is wanting to plant a church in, in Europe, and he's going through some discomfort. And so if we want to reach families, it'll cost us comfort. We may not be persecuted like Paul and Silas, but we have to be willing to get uncomfortable for the cause because every soul is worth it. This woman made a good living as a prophetess of the oracle at Delphi, and obviously her repentance was genuine as she walked away from her vocation as a false prophetess, and this caused her masters who, were made, who, who used her to make money get angry because she was not standing fast with them, but she was standing fast in the liberty in which Christ had called her. Galatians 5.1 encourages us to stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. <clears throat> right? She was free. She didn't want to go back to that business. And you know what? Paul didn't want her to go back either. Silas didn't want her to go back either. They were willing to take a beating to run some interference for this new creature, new, uh, creature in Christ Jesus. So Paul would, would later write to his disciple Timothy and remind him that the love of money right, is the root of all evil in 1 Timothy 6.10. This, this uh, disruptive diviner found genuine love in Christ and destroyed the cords of sin that bound her to the devil's plan for her life. Her bosses uh, wanted to make money off of her, but Paul's preaching uh, ended up backfiring as, as she ended up coming to Christ, and they lost their meal ticket. Of course, not to, to be outdone, the enemies of God do what they always do when they cannot get their way. They use the law as a weapon against the people of God. And this was the same tactic Tobiah and Samballat used in Nehemiah's day. Back in Nehemiah 6, you may remember the story in verse 1. It says, Now it came to pass when Samballat and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arabian, and the rest of the enemies heard that I had builded the wall and that there was no breach left therein, though at that time I had not set up the doors upon the gates, that Samballat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me mischief, and I sent messengers unto them, saying, I'm doing a great work, so I can't come down. Why should we work, the work cease while I leave it and come down to you? Yet they sent unto me four times of this sort, and I answered them the same, in the same manner. <clears throat> then Samballat, uh, his servants, uh, uh, then sent Samballat, his servant, unto me in like manner in the fifth time, and opened a letter in his hand, wherein it was written, It is reported among the heathen that Gashmu saith, that thou and the Jews think to rebel, for which cause that thou buildest the wall, that thou mayest be a king, and according to these words. Again, it comes down to authority and building something for God. How I many you want to tear your house down? Nobody does. You want to build your house. You want to build your family. That's the, that, we want to build the church. 
But you know what? That's, that's an offense to many people. They don't want to see the church grow. They don't want to see Jesus go. And, of course, there is opposition, and it comes in the form of legal documents. <clears throat> and so they sent these documents, and, and uh, thou hast said that thou also appoint prophets to preach of thee in Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah, and now shall it be reported to the king according to these words. Come now, therefore, and let us take counsel together. Then I said unto them, saying, <clears throat> I said unto them, saying, rather, There are no such things done as thou sayest, but thou feignest them out of thine own heart. For they are all they all made us afraid, for they all made us afraid, saying, The hands the their hands shall be weakened from the work, that it be not done. Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. So Nehemiah was in a situation where he was being threatened legally um, to stop the work. Like you can't do that. You can't do that. Uh, it's against the law. He's a, it's against it's against your conscience, dude. You you have a problem with what we're doing here. But the king, I'm here on behalf of the king. He's already given me permission. I'm good to go, right? But he did that to make him fearful, right? These people took Paul and <clears throat> excuse me, he took Paul and and Silas and they beat them and they scourged them and they they put him in jail. All of that. What was that all about? It was about intimidation. They were just trying to intimidate him, just like in Nehemiah. They were trying to intimidate Nehemiah so he couldn't build the walls and finish the work that God had him to do. <clears throat> Beloved, we cannot afford to be intimidated. We also got to know uh, to stay on the business at hand. You'll notice that Paul didn't go to one side or the left. He stayed focused on the mission. He didn't take it out personally on the jailer. He doesn't take it out personally on the lady that had a, a demon in her. He stays focused on the, the Lord is God. And even though opposition comes, he stays. He has a heart of charity even toward his enemies. And man, that is so important if we're going to have real relationships that reach families. Because a lot of the people that need to be sitting in these churches, in this, in this church, in these seats, in our church, right now they're probably our enemies. They may not even like us, right? As Christians, I think it's important that we think about that a little deeply. When we talk about reaching real families. Because we need to reach people who not only need to know the Lord, but who may not actually like you. You see a pattern here in Acts 16? These people that, that end up becoming converts, some of them were their enemies. That's where they started. That's why Jesus says you need to love your enemy. Now, that doesn't mean you go along with your enemy, right? That's part of the problem is we are different. We are new creatures. We are called out. We do follow Jesus first. That is where the tension is because ultimately it comes down to authority. Who are we going to follow? In this case, it comes down to the money, right? And who's going to pay? And it was messing up the economy. But unlike Nehemiah, Paul and Silas were taken into custody, beaten and imprisoned wrongfully under trumped-up charges that the gospel was seditious to Caesar because Paul claimed there was one God and his name was Jesus. Of course, he's going to appeal to the fact that the Roman Empire allows for this because Jews were welcome in Rome and they made room for multiple religions and they knew that the Jews believed in one God and it's like, hey, if you, if you let the Jews have synagogues, we're good. I'm a Roman. No, I'm not, I have nothing against it. Just let me worship my one true God. All the Jews do. And the one true God is Jesus Christ, by the way. He was just here, and he ascended, and now I'm here to represent him. If you want to know him, here's my card, right? I'm here to visit. And so Paul had all this covered. He himself was an attorney. He knew exactly what was going on, <clears throat> and he knew what the charges were. The problem was not that the enemies of God didn't understand the gospel. 
It wasn't that they needed more explanation about who Jesus was or what was going on. They understood it so well, they sent somebody in to feign and to pretend and to say, oh, these are the greatest guys ever. Why did they do that? Not because they cared about the souls of men, but because they cared about getting money. They wanted to hijack the movement. That's why today there's a warning in the Bible. It's like a prophecy, even in the New Testament, that says, hey, be careful because people will try to make merchandise of you. Politicians will do it. Corporations will do it. Sony will do it. Nashville will do it, right? At the end of the day, though, we are focused on the one true God. We're keeping our garments pure. And these folks aren't our enemies. They just don't understand. So today, there was a, <clears throat> today there's a great dispute in our land over the right to murder a child in the womb. And it seems absurd on its face to even argue for that uh, in the face of medical science and 30 years of data to prove that the fruit of the womb is the Lord's reward and that children... Um, that that, uh, mothers carry are uniquely miraculous and should be protected, not exploited for monetary and political purposes, right? Logic would tell you that. Logic and reason and common decency, notwithstanding, there are powerful forces that desire to fight against anyone who gets in the way of their culture of death because it makes them approximately $1.7 million per day, 38% of that coming directly from government grants. contracts, and medical reimbursements. That's uh, $6.18 million per year, not counting their other resources of revenue, which will total $1.7 billion a year, killing an average of 947 babies a day at a $600 fee per procedure. In addition, uh, Project Veritas found that they make a lucrative contract for baby parts and and baby, uh, you know, remains. And if that sounds horrible, it is. The love of money, beloved, the love of money is the root of all evil. Proverbs 8 says this in verse 35, For whoso findeth me findeth life. And this lady found life. This lady, this diviner found life. And shall obtain favor of the Lord. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. And all they that hate me love death. There's a culture of death that sweeps over our, our, our culture not just in America, but across the world. That's because Satan introduced death. He is is a liar. He is a father of lies. And he loves death. And so do his children. If the former handlers of this diviner, who was divinely delivered from their way, understood the power of God, they'd also be bowing their knee to him. They would have wanted to kill Paul and Silas if they could, just as the Jews killed Jesus. But they couldn't do that yet. And all this was a little uncomfortable for Paul and Silas. But it was worth it, because greater is he that was in them than he that was in the world. And it really didn't matter, because they were about the souls of men. First John 4, 4 tells us that, you know what, God is greater. He's in you. And we know that those who live godly shall suffer persecution, as we see in 2 Timothy three twelve. <clears throat> it comes with the territory, just like giving birth. It comes with pain. You know, before you get into it, not just the pain of childbirth, but the pain of raising children. A lot of moms are heartbroken by the time that child enters adulthood or after that child's in adulthood. There's moms that spend their whole life grieving over the decisions their children make because their children are fools and they love death instead of life. There's a lot of, there's a lot of burden and responsibility to plant, in a, to, uh, to plant in a church. I'm sorry, my mind was somewhere else. To having a child, to giving birth. And, and, it, and, it, and it never goes away, right? My mom's 78. Is that right? 78, I think. I don't know. 
Sorry, Mom. And, uh, you know, she still worries about me. She's like, what did the doctor say about this? You know, why? Because moms care. You know, Paul cared. He cared about Lydia. He cared about this lady. And you know what we're going to see in a moment? He cared about this, this jailer as well. There's a time when sharing Christ and advocating for his values might get some ridicule. It's also possible that it could cause some discomfort, like Paul and Silas faced when baptizing Lydia's family and delivering this diviner from the clutches of sin and death through the gospel. So point three, our conduct, our conduct under extreme circumstances is what wins sinners to Christ. If we want to reach people for Christ, if we want to see families changed, man, it's going to be our conduct, conduct not when things are going easy, right? It's when things get difficult. Just like we saw last week, people want to see that authentic they wanted to see Jesus' authentic power. Well, guess what? Physically, his authentic power is going to be manifest through us. I took some time to mention that in the body, we are the body. And he doesn't, it doesn't mean they have to touch me or they have to touch the next great preacher guy uh, who rolls through our pulpit someday. He's some preacher, some missionary, or, or, or some rock star preacher. No, the, anybody that's in the body that's plugged into Christ, man, we're part of that. Man, they just need to touch someone who's real, someone who's connected to Christ. You know, our conduct under extreme circumstances will make, our, make us exotic, like we talked about last week. Make people want to get it near us. People need to see us suffer well if we want to reach families for Christ. As Paul and Silas were now incarcerated, they were introduced to this jailer at Philippi who was less than gentle with them as he thrust them into the inner prison in Acts 16, 24. And he makes their feet fast in the stocks, and he, and he, and he basically gives them a, a nice criminal uh, welcome there as he throws them in like there's some sort of flight risk. And the jailer and his family were, were charged, <clears throat> were, I'm sorry, this jailer and his family were changed by having a real relationship with Paul. And it started rocky, but once, uh, once what the devil meant to be evil uh, in, this, in this jailer's life turns out to, for good because God met him where it was at. Now in your text, look at Acts chapter 16, verse 25, and we'll continue the story and finish this up. It says, And at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had fled. And Paul said, good riddance, dude. You didn't treat me right. I hope that goes all the way through your heart. He didn't say that at all, did he? No. No. No, no. That's not what Paul said. He drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had fled. But, verse 28, Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Man, what an incredible story. Truly, all things do work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. So the prisoners had heard the prayer and the praise of Paul and Silas in Acts 16.25. And at midnight, as they prayed and they sang, you know, everybody heard it. The prisoners heard them. God's movement, God's power was, going, was, was present in that place because in their circumstances, they praised God. The jailer was startled by the power of God as it awoke him from his sleep and brought fear to his heart. He was ready to end his life as we saw. But Paul said no. The jailer quickly understood the power of God was greater than the fear of man and his Roman employers. 
Again, Paul's messing up the economy with the gospel. And in verse 27 it says, In the keeper of their prison, as he awoke out of his sleep and he was going to kill himself, we cover that. Paul said, Don't do it. Don't do it. And the jailer's entire family was saved because of Paul's ministry. Look down in verse 30. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. This is the second house we've, been, we've seen get saved in Philippi. The first one was Lydia's. The second one is this Philippian jailer. And he took them the same hour of night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God. There it is again, with all his house. With all his house. The jailer's entire family was saved because of the ministry of Paul and Silas in jail. And the fellowship was sweet with the Philippian jailer. And that's the rest of the story, right? That's where it ends. But actually, that is just where it begins. A little discomfort, or a lot of discomfort in this case. These guys have stripes on their back. They're thrust into prison. They're treated poorly. All because they, 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 they freed a woman from financial bondage and basic slavery. All because of that. They're all mistreated. But you know what? They're not victims. In all of that, they're victors. And in all of that, when it comes right down to it, we see God do a miraculous work through difficult circumstances. Because they were focused on God and getting people into His family. And seeing people born again. Whether you're a man or a woman today on Mother's Day, you know what? You ought to want to see people be born again. And you ought to be able to articulate what they must do to be saved. If you're a member of this church, I expect every member to know how to walk someone through the plan of salvation. I mean, that's how you got saved. So, so be able to open your Bible and tell somebody when they say, what must I do to be saved? Be able to open up your Bible and say, this is what it says. Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, Romans 10.9 and 10. Get them to where they need to go. I mean, there's more verses, but you know what I'm saying. We should be able to give birth under any circumstance because you never know when God's going to turn it and your enemies are going to come to you and say, hey, what must I do to be saved? They're going to do that when they see you endure difficulty. When a woman is giving birth and going through all of that travail, you know, all of a sudden she gives birth and there's new life and all the, all the travail is worth it all for that new life. I'm sure Paul and Silas, man, they were rejoicing. Now, the rest of the story, i got to get you to the rest of the story, like Paul Harvey. What's really going on here? And some of you know, what, what this is an incredible passage. This church of Philippi, as we know, consisted, it wasn't a church yet. It consisted as a, as a prayer meeting at this time. It's hard to have pastors and deacons, right, if you don't have a man in the house. It's hard to constitute a church biblically the way God designed it in the Bible, 1 Timothy chapter 3. And so the church at Philippi consisted at this time of women initially, as far as we know. This jailer was the first male convert in his family that came, in Europe, that came into the kingdom of God in Europe through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Now, if you go over to the book of Philippians, chapter 1 and verse 1, it's interesting what it says, introduction. Because we see that, that not too many years later, as Paul writes to the church at Philippi, he says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi, with the bishops, plural, and the deacons, plural. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God had a mighty work that was going on there. It started with some tri tribulation. It started with some trials. It started with some difficulties. It started with some distractions. 
But ultimately, God got the glory. And there ended up being a church there with multiple pastors, multiple deacons, and a very prosperous church in a key city with key men at a key time. You know, it's Mother's Day. And what do mothers need for men today? They need for us to follow Jesus, no matter what. You don't have to have a family, by the way, to reach out to a family. Point four, real, I'm going to give you some practical real ways, and we'll be done here, to reach families. You know what, if you need some like practical advice, I'm here to give it to you right now. Reach the head of the family, if at all possible. Right? Especially a man-to-man. That's a great way. That's a great way to reach families. Like the Philippian jailer, someone uh, was just <clears throat> uh, commenting to me how refreshing it is to see men uh, in a baptism tank, to come to a church and see men uh, in our church. Praise God. It is good to see men. We need more. Uh, we need more men in the church, in the kingdom of God, because what comes after that are whole houses. We need to also reach couples, right? God designed marriage, and he knows how to, uh, to efficiently operate it, according to Ephesians 5, 21 through 23, that we're to submit ourselves one to another in the fear of God, wives submitting to their own husbands as, in, as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, right? He reveals the mystery of the church through the marital union of a man and a woman, Ephesians 5.25, husbands are to love their wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So the mystery of Christ and the church is revealed in the marital union. Man, if you want to reach uh, marriages, then you know what? Work on our own marriage, right? We need to have good marriages. God created Adam and Eve, by the way, not Adam and Steve. So reaching parents reaches children. Ephesians 6.1-3, the Bible says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Another way that we reach families is not just by working, for those of us that are married, working on, on, and, and on being biblical in our marriages and, and being able to help others that are married, but also to raise our children in the way of the Lord. And children are a great opportunity to reach others. And so children, obey your parents in the Lord. You know, if you want to raise good children, what should we be? Good children. Right, we should obey our Father in heaven. We should be obedient to him. And that, <clears throat> that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Paul and Silas reached Lydia, and it impacted those of her house. Paul and Silas reached the Philippian jailer, and it impacted those of his house. How did that happen? Because Paul heard the command of God. He said, go. And he saw in a vision a man waving. And Paul was obedient. And when he got there, and he ended up meeting with a group of women... He wasn't like some male chauvinist pig going, oh, I can't work with these ladies. He just took what God gave him and began to work because those were the people with the right heart attitude. And God blessed that, and eventually he got introduced to the first convert as he got thrown into jail. And you know what? I would not be surprised if when he saw that jailer, he saw the man in the vision waving. If that wasn't the man. I don't know if that happened or not, but I wonder sometimes if that's not the man he saw in the vision. And that may be why he was rejoicing in prison. I don't know. But God gave him some joy in his heart. He knew that he was on track, even though he was going through difficult circumstances, so he could bring forth fruit. And I tell you what, if you want to raise obedient kids, then be an obedient kid, right? Be an obedient child. Do what God tells you to do so your, your children can watch someone who's obeying the Lord. Don't, be, don't, don't model uh, with God, your father in heaven bad behavior, like that mom in that video, right? I mean, which one are you, right? Are you, the, are you that? Are, are you the... The disobedient child or the obedient child? So reaching parents is the key to reaching families. And when we do this, children will be reached at length. And, of course, that will advance the kingdom of God. So biblical families consist of parents who love God enough 
to nurture and admonish their children. Ephesians 6, 4 says, And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So where, <clears throat> so, uh, you know, where are men going to go today to see biblical masculinity and nurturing, biblically? You know, are they going to go to HBO and watch MMA, right? Which I like, you know, MMA is great. But that's not male, that's not masculinity. Where are they going to go when they're going to see someone like Paul who's willing to suffer? You know what? That, 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 that Ethiopian, that, that jailer saw these two men suffer. And not only suffer, they praised God through the midst of it. And instead of, instead of hanging him out to dry, they stayed and they showed him charity. They showed him love. And you know what? God received, recovered him. I didn't finish the end of the story and I don't have time, but Paul ends up going to bat for that guy. When they, wanna, when they finally realize Paul's a Roman citizen and he's been jailed, right? He's been jailed illegally. You know what Paul does? He runs cover for the, the man who imprisoned him. And he says, hey, wait a minute. Oh, since we're talking about this, you can go back and re- finish the story yourself. I'm a lawyer and I'm a citizen of Rome. And yeah, you jailed me illegally. And they're like, oh, please get out of t- town. He's like, oh, no. No, 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 no. Since we're talking the law, I think you're going to make a path for these people here in Philippi to worship the God of the, the, the one true God that we've been preaching. And evidently, it gave him enough cover to grow quite a church. It was all about enduring what needed to be endured to bring forth life. And beloved, <clears throat> we need to make sure that we're willing to be uncomfortable so that we can reach families, that we can reach children, so we can do what God wants us to do because real relationships with God reach church families. Obedient children make obedient servants, right? Ephesians 6, 5 through 8, servants, be obedient to them that are your masters. And Ephesians, as you, as you step down through that passage, you know what? Obedient children make obedient servants. Obedient servants make obedient masters. It then increment, incrementally goes up to verse 9. And you masters, do the same thing unto them, forbearing threatening, knowing that your master also in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. You know, Paul and Silas, uh, Lydia, uh, all of these people in this story, they modeled this. They were humble, they were obedient, they were servants. And then when Paul needed to, he pulled the, the lawyer card and the citizen card. And he said, oh, and by the way, I'm, glad, I'm not going to treat you the way you treated me, but I'm going to stand my ground here and let you know that what you did was wrong and you need to make a way for these people. And he advocated for his family, his spiritual family. And you masters do the same thing unto them, forbearing threatening, knowing that your master also in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. And thirdly, obedient masters make faithful soldiers. <clears throat> Ultimately, in Ephesians, as you incrementally go down through the text, it grows you from a child, a servant, a master, and then you finally become a soldier. The day a baby's born, they're not ready to be a soldier, but today there's a lot of mamas praying for their kids as they're being deployed. Right? It takes time and maturation and growth. But man, we need to make sure that we're obedient and we make faithful soldiers. HBF exists to give forth fruit, to encourage families so that we can actually raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord so that we can mature in the kingdom of God so we can go forth and reproduce fruit. Because what you don't need is babies reproducing babies. You've got to raise the fruit that you produce. And to do that, you've got to have maturation. You've got to have discipleship. And that brings us back to where we started. So finally, brethren, right? we need to make sure that we're strong in the Lord in the power of His might. You know, in the summer of 1863, as a matter of fact, it was July 1st through the 3rd, there was a battle raging in Pennsylvania. It was Gettysburg. You all know about Gettysburg. And it was a terrible situation. Um, 
General uh, General Warren went to the to the uh, <clears throat> up to uh, this uh, the area the flank of the of the Union line to Little Round Top to see you know what was going on there, <clears throat> and it was uh, it was it was left open, and so he could see on Big Round Top, which haven't, haven't you been to Gettysburg? You probably know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, you got to go there sometime. Just across the the valley there, which isn't very big, he could see all the Union troops amassing. They were getting ready to make a run on the Union on the Union line, and which would have been incredibly successful. They would have crushed the Union army. Uh, it would have changed the course of the Civil War. And so, fortunately, um, <clears throat> this uh, general goes down and he he sees this and immediately starts calling uh, for the troops to to be sent. And uh, they sent several, you know, down. And one regiment came down, several regiments came down. One was from Maine. And, Maine. and the regiment in Maine got stationed at the very end. They were the very last thing. And their orders were hold at all costs. So basically, you hold or you die. And so the battle was raging and the Confederates started charging. And uh, you can go back and read about it. It's an incredible uh, story. Uh, as <clears throat> They probably should have won, but they didn't. And uh, the, the Union held them off with great valor. A lot of great stories just in that one battle. A lot of outside of uh, of the, the regiment from Maine, a lot of men, a lot of leadership, a lot of men going forth in the battle, giving their life and holding off the Confederates at Little Round Top. And so, as the battle rages on, it was fierce. Um, they run out. They, they run out of ammo, and the regiment from Maine uh, has no other choice but to fix bayonets. And so they did. That's all they could do, is they fixed their bayonets. And with one last gasp, they, 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 an heroic uh, gasp, I might add, a schoolteacher named Colonel Joshua Chamberlain, who led his regiment down there, they put their bayonets on, uh, no mutiny, everybody stayed in order, and with one last gasp, they just they went charged down the hill after the Confederates, because that was it, they were out of ammo. And they fought so fiercely, and the battle had raged on so long, the Confederates were overwhelmed. They had no more fight in them. And they ended up surrendering. And they ended up winning the battle. Of course, that's before Pickett's charge. But the point is this. <clears throat> Man, it was a difficult situation. At the very end of this defensive line was a band of brothers led by a school teacher, Colonel Joshua Chamberlain. Chamberlain. And it's no, coincid- it, it's, it's no coincidence that this regiment, you know, they gave everything and God blessed it. And it changed the entire outcome. On this one decision, this one leader made to be uncomfortable, to give his life, and to sacrifice what would have seemed like sudden, certain death and end up becoming victory. I can't imagine what it would have been like to be there. The Union troops' ability to obey in the face of overwhelming force gave them the edge in the battle as they held off what would have been an insurmountable opposition. You know what those men learned? The first thing that we all got to learn, that's simply to obey. Obey. What's every mom want from their child? What's every dad want? Obey. What's our Father in Heaven want? Obey. What did the United States Army need against the Confederates of Gettysburg? They needed not just a man, but the leader and all the men under him to obey. And it changed the entire course of the battle and the war. Beloved, you know what Paul did and Silas did, Timothy did when they went, and, and Luke did when they went to Europe? No converts, only a women's Bible study by the river, 
opposition from the principalities and powers. They obeyed. They obeyed. And God brought a tremendous victory. Likewise, we've got to be sensitive to the Spirit of God's leading and learn obedience as a child, a servant, a master, and ultimately a soldier. If you cannot pass the test at home, then you're not going to pass the test at church. And you're not going to be very very effective in reaching your neighbors, your friends, and the families that God has us to reach. And so today's lesson for all of us on Mother's Day is obey. Obey. Grow in obedience as a child. Grow in obedience as a servant. Grow in obedience as a master. And grow in obedience as a soldier. Amen? Let's stand. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to visit in your word and can think about real relationships that reach families. Lord, if we would learn to obey as children, as servants, as masters, as soldiers, Lord, we 